I was talking about Gilmore Girls with a friend of mine. Um, we were like, I, I was like, I love that show so much because it's so bland and white. Like nothing happens in it. <laughs> if you're having a bad day or if, like for me, if I've heard someone's been shot and I'm feeling, you know, extra sensitive, I'll just turn on some Gilmore Girls and like forget about my troubles. Like nothing happens. The biggest scandal in the town is like, oh, you didn't show up to my dinner. It's like, what? It's so bland. I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. I'm Ambivalently Yours, and this is Rebelliously Tiny, a podcast where each week a special guest helps me respond to one of the thousands of personal questions I've received on social media. In a world that teaches us that strength is loud, harsh, and masculine, this is a place for those of us whose struggle is both impossibly large and rebelliously tiny. Here's this week's question. Hi, sweetheart. I need to talk to you about something. A few months ago, I started questioning my sexuality because I had a crush on one of my same-sex friends. I had tried to discover my sexuality a couple times before, but I kept thinking that I was straight. Now I'm not so sure. My main problem is that I don't know whether my thoughts are real or if I'm just doing this because of one crush. I've already talked about this to some of my friends who are LGBT plus themselves, but I'm so scared that I might just be imagining all of this and that I offended my friends whose feelings are actually real. I wouldn't have a problem being gay, bi, pan, straight, or whatever. I just have a problem with not knowing if what I feel is real. Thanks for listening. Okay, well, um, my name is Lux. I'm 22 years old from Montreal. Um, I am non-binary, so they, them pronouns. I am queer, I am bisexual, I am black, I am short. <laughs> Um, and I'm very passionate about LGBT issues and passionate about racial issues and passionate about justice for women and other minorities. Um, yeah. That's, That's great. where I focus my activism. <laughs> um, okay, so just like a little backstory, we met um, last summer during like a, a live drawing and you were one of the models <laughs> and I was one of the drawers <laughs> and um I just thought that was like just a nice way that that we met because I really loved drawing you and <laughs> and you said you liked the drawing I loved the drawing <laughs> it was my favorite it was beautiful so you know I've met like so many of the people that I collaborate with now and like that I do activism work with like online because of my drawings so it was kind of nice that we met because of my drawings but IRL yeah (laughs) so um and I guess after that we became friends on Facebook and I saw a little bit of the things that um you were writing about and you know I stalked you a little bit to see what you were writing about (laughs) 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 you know as we do (laughs) with new people that we don't know so well I've stalked you so it's (laughs) it's mutual um yeah so and I I I wanted I I met Lux during a live drawing workshop last summer They were modeling, and I was drawing. We later became Facebook friends, and I got to know them the way you get to know anyone these days, 
by mildly stalking their Facebook profile. I was really interested in the way Lux used Facebook to remind people of their preferred pronouns and to make announcements about their gender and sexual identity. Social media can sometimes act as a megaphone through which to make important clarifications once to a large group and avoid some of the emotional labor of having to explain it over and over again to each individual. This tactic also made it easier for me to see the issues that were important to Lux, which is why I chose this specific question for us to tackle together. Um, this question, I see a lot of my younger self in it. I had the same concerns when I was coming to terms with my sexuality. Um, yeah, it, it sounds very familiar. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's that whole idea of, like, of not knowing if it's real. Mm -hmm. Like, did you kind of have that sort of... Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, when I was, like, in high school and stuff like that, I remember having what I know now to be crushes on my fellow classmates who were girls. And, but at the time, I just... Like, I didn't want to confront that part of myself. So I just, like, I don't know. I just, like, reimagined it as me having, like, a strong wanting to be their friend. Like, I remember I had a crush on this one girl. And I would talk to her and my heart would beat really fast. And I would, like, she'd tell me about music she listened to. And I'd go online and listen to the music, like, <laughs> in an attempt to feel close to her. Um, but I never, like... I never thought that it was something romantic. I never saw it through that lens. It wasn't until much later, much, much later on, um, when I heard other bisexual, pansexual people saying, oh, this is how it feels like to have a crush on someone when you're bisexual and you don't know it. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute that sounds like me wait a minute and I have to do some thinking and some soul searching but yeah that feeling of like not knowing if it's real or not is definitely real especially if you're not letting yourself feel those romantic or sexual feelings yeah that's so interesting that you had to kind of hear like other stories mm -hmm. to be like oh yeah that's <laughs> <laughs> that's what it feels like exactly <laughs> yeah and of course now looking back I can map like my whole life like all the crushes I've had on people who've been on girls and boys and non-binary people um but yeah at, at the time I just didn't I wasn't willing to I wasn't willing to accept that part of myself I guess mm -hmm. there's a lot of internalized homophobia there a lot of doubt a lot of fear of like like I was confused at the time I was like does this make me a lesbian if I like this girl like or like what am I yeah I think that what can be maybe hard for people that identify as like bi or pen or even like non-binary is like this idea of like like it seems like an unclear kind of label mm -hmm. and I feel like some people are like just make up your mind or... exactly <laughs> Um, yeah, but I don't know. Do you want to elaborate a bit on that? On that yeah, idea? there's a lot of make up your mind that I hear a lot of that, especially um, online, which I think is really sad because, you know, 
there are, like the person who asked this question, there are young people out there who are questioning their sexuality, questioning their being, and they're being told that, like, bisexuality isn't real, pansexuality isn't real, or bisexuals are greedy, bisexuals are cheaters, bisexuals are sluts, air quotes. <laughs> um, but it's just, it's not true, and it's so harmful. And I'm all about creating a positive space for, like, young bisexual people. Because I feel we're often sidelined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think a lot of people are, like, uncomfortable about things that aren't, like, clearly defined. Mm-hmm. Even within, like, subcultures or, like, marginalized groups or whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. You still need to, like... If you're not in the mainstream, you still need to be, like, this other clear thing. Yeah. And, like... If it if it's like a thing that's still a little bit ambiguous, I think some people, yeah, they just don't know how to wrap their head around it. People are uncomfortable with ambigu- ambiguity. Yeah, I mean, like my whole work as ambivalently yours started when I just reached a point where I was very ambivalent, and I, I just I felt like torn in all these different directions. And instead of trying to like say like I'm this one thing, I was like, no, I'm like all these conflicting things or all these different things and I'm gonna stay here in this like in between place and just be ambivalent and this is where I am and it's not because I can't make up my mind or it's not because like you said I'm trying to be greedy or whatever it's just like this is who I am I have like different ideas about things and my mind changes yeah and I think even for me it's been a hard thing to wrap my head around within my own like I think as I'm learning more about like sexual and gender identity through having these conversations, I think a lot of my desire to explore ambivalence is linked to that, to like sexual and gender identity. Um, I And just like allowing myself to not make up my mind for a while kind of allowed me to sort of look at things in a less scary way I don't know I feel that (laughs) I feel that for sure um same like when I was figuring out like my sexuality um I didn't come out until I was 20 I didn't really acknowledge it until then but while I was like figuring out I I just let myself be I just admitted to myself like yes I'm attracted to men and yes I'm attracted to women and I'm attracted to people who identify as neither and I don't have to put a label on that for the moment I'm still figuring it out but that's okay Mm -hmm. I think that's such an important place that we don't like valorize enough in our society that Mm -hmm. like that place when you're still figuring things out Um, because everything is so binary right it's everything is black or white gay or straight man or woman choose this choose that yeah and even within like activism i feel like it's still people's reflex sometimes to be like you're left or right yeah like you're this or that and if you're not this then you're definitely that and yeah i i wish that there was a bit more room sometimes for nuance yeah ambiguity like we were saying Mm -hmm. almost everyone who writes to me on tumblr seems to be asking me in their own way if what they are feeling is real We are taught to be skeptical of our emotions, to see them as excessive and unfounded. 
So how are we supposed to know what's real and what's in our head? I wanted to tell this person that um, questioning your sexuality doesn't mean that you're invalidating the experiences of your friends who are queer. Like, you have a right to question. And if you end up discovering that your truth is that you're straight, then that's fine, and it doesn't make your questions any less valid. Like, I just want to tell this person that, like, your feelings are valid. You're valid. Like, I just want to communicate that because I feel like they don't feel that. Yeah, I mean, I think that sometimes there's, like, this thought that there's always someone out there that has it, like worse than you Mm -hmm. so like you just shouldn't complain yeah like i'm constantly trying to tell people who write to me and constantly trying to remind myself that like no even like your the things that seem like small and not important in the grand scheme of things are important yeah like if that's your truth that's your reality yeah that's your struggle then it's important coming out is a constant process so I'm constantly coming out to people, but the only time I was really nervous about it was when I was coming out to my mom. Same with coming out as non-binary. I actually, I was plagued by a lot of doubt about that part of my identity. I felt like, am I really non-binary or am I just saying that? Like, you know, but I did a lot of research and like hearing other people's stories of how they came out and how they came to terms with it really made like solidified the idea that, yeah, I, I am this thing and this is OK. I'm wondering if you ever feel like you advocate for a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you ever feel like sometimes like you're put in positions where you have to like pick one or the other, like where you have to fight for like race over gender. Yeah. Or- I definitely feel a lot of that or like there's this strange phenomenon of people of marginalized identities who are not black expecting black people to champion their causes but the favor isn't exactly returned like okay I have an example um MIA the rapper she was talking about Black Lives Matter and she was saying something about like how come Muslim lives don't matter and it's like it's just strange to me that black people have to to use the term be a mule and carry everyone's issues on our shoulders all at the same time championing our own causes and it ignores the fact that they're like it ignores the intersection like there are black Muslims who Black Lives Matter includes you know it doesn't exclude them just because they're Muslim so or like I don't know where I'm going with this but yeah no I think that it's like I think like we were saying it's good to be able to be broad but also there are times when things should be specific Mm -hmm. especially like when you're fighting for uh, for something that's like really important right now like, the Black Lives Matter movement is really important right now because there is a problem mm-hmm. um, with violence against people of color, um, especially in the U.S., but I think in Canada as well. Oh, definitely. Definitely in Canada. And that's really swept under the rug here. Yeah, in Canada, we like to think that 
we're all happy and polite, but yeah, we've got the the great the great prime minister who hugs pandas and goes to pride. Yay! It's like the perfect country. <laughs> it's so far from the truth. Um, I guess I'm trying always trying to figure out how to be specific, but also how to be inclusive and mm-hmm. how to support people who are different mm-hmm. from me. Um, I don't know. It's it's a tricky thing. It is. It is. Like intersectionality is really great in theory, but in practice, it's really it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. And I think that sometimes some really great efforts get lost in sort of like the pettiness that can come out of of that, or yeah, or like the mistakes that come out. And, you know, I really champion the internet for being a great place to, like, like cause awareness. and But it's also, there's also that, a place of backlash mm-hmm. where anyone who makes a mistake suddenly gets, I don't know, it, it, it becomes They get scary. eviscerated. Yeah. It's, they, there's this whole thing within social justice where it's like, I feel like people are losing sight of what really matters. And instead of... If someone makes a mistake, instead of trying to, like, help educate them, they just, like, go right for the jugular. And they're just like, you're an awful person. You're toxic. We're going to cut you off. You, you know, all these keywords. And it's like, people make mistakes. You have to look at, I mean, yeah, sometimes people are just bigots. But sometimes people just don't know any better. And Mm -hmm. you have to let them know. Yeah. And I think that's really important, too, for the people making mistakes to be willing to, like, hear it. Mm-hmm. You know, to be able to be, like, to not get defensive. Exactly. That's another problem, too. People get so defensive instead of listening to what someone is telling them. So it's, like, it's on both sides. Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, being, like, a white person and having all the privileges that go with that, like, there are some things that I just, like, I can't empathize with that I that I've just never had to go through and and I know I've made like mistakes sometimes in the past like through my whole feminist journey (laughs) um yeah and there are times where I've like felt defensive but I keep trying to like listen and and I guess part of this podcast is like I wanted there to be more voices, like, helping me answer, like, different voices than mm-hmm. my own. Like, helping me answer, like, these questions from, like, different points of view. Yeah. Because I feel like there's value in, like, talking to each other instead of, like, about each other. Yeah. Um, and that's what happens a bit online, is that we end up talking about each other. Like, if MIA had, like, had a conversation with someone of Black Lives Matter instead of tweeting about it. Yeah. It could have been so, so great. Yeah. But same thing happened. She said that thing. People got mad, jumped on her. She got defensive. Nothing really, nothing productive happened. Like, she didn't learn anything. Yeah, exactly. And I understand being mad. Like, I was really angry when I read what she said. And, like, you know, on my private secure locked twitter i was like oh who does she think she is blah blah blah. (laughs) but you know and i did see people reach out to her trying to like teach her but it was lost in the sea of people just 
beating up on her. Yeah, I think it's just hard because these are, like, such important issues, like, all of these different things. Mm -hmm. um, Where it's, like, it's important to a point where it's, like, people are dying because of these issues. Literally. Like, like it's not even that abstract. Yeah. Like, like for, like, gender, race, sexuality, like, all, all these things, like, that are not handled properly. Exactly. But there's still... And I think the fact that they cause all these emotions, it makes it hard to talk about. Mm-hmm. I know for myself personally, um, I am very triggered by, like, the shootings that are happening in the U.S. and in Canada. Like, when I heard about Abdirahman Abdi, like, being shot, it I was out for days. Like, it really got to me when I hear about um, Philando Castile, when I hear about Trayvon Martin and Mike Brown and Tamir Rice, you know, it takes a lot out of me and I cry and I mourn and it's hard to talk about. Like, it's, it's difficult for me to know that for some people it's just a concept when for me and my community, it's so real. It's so real. It's so there. And it's so painful that, like, I don't understand how anyone can make light of it, but they do. I'll admit that every time I try to talk about race, either online or in person, I feel terrified. I'm afraid of making a mistake, of being accidentally offensive. I'm afraid of putting too much of a burden on the people of color around me, asking them to educate me and forgive me for what other people who look like me have done. And like any respecting white person, I feel guilt. But guilt is not a productive emotion. Guilt makes people defensive. I'm constantly searching for another emotion, something bigger than guilt, more authentic than empathy, because how empathetic can we truly be to a situation we've never had to face? It's hard, and for some people it's too hard. None of us got to choose what privileges we got at birth, but we do get to choose what we do with them. But yeah, you don't need to apologize for your race. Like, the one thing I ask of my white friends is, you know, raise awareness because your voice in society, sad to say it, but matters more than mine. And people will listen to you where, where they won't listen to me. So amplify our voices and raise your voice to talk about these issues like you're doing right now. Yeah, well, that's kind of what I'm trying to do is like create platforms where more people that don't get heard get to be heard. And even like answering these questions on Tumblr, it's like people who think that their problems are so unimportant that they can only write to a stranger on Tumblr about them. Well, mm. I want them to feel like it's important because, I don't know, like, on a level, I've always felt, like, growing up that my voice was not important and being, like, a really emotional person. I always felt that, like, I was always, like, the emotional one in the family. Like, oh, there she goes again. Me too. Like, having a temper tantrum Mm -hmm. and people just kind of, like, don't take it seriously. Yeah. So I'm all about, like giving a platform for people's temper tantrums that's good that's really good (laughs) yeah no I think it's like really great that you took the time to 
to talk to me about these kind of and like to share that like to share things that are honestly like traumatic in a way like yeah it's it's hard because you have like such a burden to like educate like how do you feel about that idea of like like that having to educate other people um or do you feel like you have to it's hard because sometimes I like I will say something I'll speak up if I hear someone saying something wrong but sometimes I I don't have the energy to do it or I just you know I don't feel like it's safe for me to do it and I get called out like you know um there was an incident where uh, I was with a friend and he said the n-word and I didn't say anything and then I was with another friend and she said the n-word and I was like hey that's wrong and then another friend jumped in and was like, oh, but you didn't say anything when he said it. How come it's it's only okay when he says it, but when she says it, it's not okay? And I was just like, I don't have the energy to constantly be like, you can't do this. You can't say this because this, because that. The history of this is da-da-da-da-da. Like, I just don't have that energy. Sometimes I see something, you know, sexist or racist happening, and I, you know, it's, it's sad, but I just... I just let it go. I, I let it happen because I don't have the energy to be getting into discussions with people. It takes a lot out of me. I've I've moved away, honestly. I've moved away from being super vocal about things. Like on Facebook, if I if I see someone saying something racist, I won't engage with them. I'll just delete them. Mm-hmm. Because it takes a lot of energy. Like, you know this. It takes a lot of energy to air quotes educate people yeah i think you have to like pick your battles exactly pick your battles because yeah you're not going to convince everyone and if it becomes like toxic to you Mm -hmm. or too exhausting yeah it's just it's not it's not a productive way and you'll just burn out yeah for sure and then that's it and my hat really goes off to the people who do this every day like on twitter and tumblr Mm -hmm. we're constantly fielding these questions constantly answering constantly like the patience they have i don't yeah yeah i i've learned i have to take breaks and stuff sometimes from it just take a break and like watch bad tv yeah for a little bit and just like forget and then go back to i feel that Watch a bit of Gilmore Girls. <laughs> you know what I was? Um, I was talking about Gilmore Girls with a friend of mine. Um, we were like, I, I was like, I love that show so much because it's so bland and white. Like nothing happens in it. <laughs> if you're having a bad day or if, like for me, if I've heard someone's been shot and I'm feeling, you know, extra sensitive, I'll just turn on some Gilmore Girls and like forget about my troubles. Like nothing happens. The biggest scandal in the town is like oh you didn't show up to my dinner it's like what it's so bland i love it <laughs> i love it so much i'm so excited for the new season no me too no me too it's like it's my like therapy show when i just like need to... an escape yeah yeah because yeah because it's not like triggering in any way exactly. it's not too intense exactly. the drama is like just enough drama yeah it's like comfort food exactly like bland mashed potatoes <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that was fun. I, I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're right. <laughs> it's nice. Like, I have that. Otherwise, I have Studio Ghibli movies. Mm-hmm. Like, it's nice to disappear into a different world for a while. Yeah. 
Because this world can be intense. Very. <laughs> it's so intense. With this podcast, I wanted to take all of these big issues and make them tiny. Boil them down to two people in a sound studio, trying to respond to a stranger on the internet. Just want to make sure that this person, I hope they like hear this and like reply to you. I just want to make sure that they know that they, they have the room to question themselves. Like they have that space. They have a right to that space. And yeah. Sometimes you just need someone to tell you. Yeah. Like, yes, this is fine. This is real. This is valid. Mm-hmm. I think and there's something about like a stranger who doesn't know you, but who can still relate to what you're saying. Yeah. And it sometimes maybe feels more legit than if it was coming from your friends or something because they might be saying something to, like, make you feel better. But, like, what intentions could a stranger have other than to tell you the truth? Yeah, that's it. Like, it's like your mom telling you you're pretty. It's different than, like, a stranger. (laughs) Yeah. It's like your mom's not going to tell. Well, yeah. My mom does that. She says that I'm a good singer. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, but you can't. She's like, no, I'm being totally unbiased right now. I'm like, you can. (laughs) By virtue of being my mother, you can. You're never unbiased when it comes to your children. Yeah, it's true. But that's what moms are for. You need at least, like, one person. Yeah. Who's always going to be on your side. Yeah. (laughs) Rebelliously Tiny was written, produced, and edited by me, Ambivalently Yours, and co-produced by Hannah McCasland. The music is by Greg Barkley. This episode was recorded at Obero Artist Run Centre in Montreal, with technical support from Stéphane Claude. Special thanks to the entire team at Obero for their technical, financial, and emotional support. Additional thanks to our special guests for taking the time to talk with us. To learn more about my work and this podcast, please visit my website, ambivalentlyyours.com, or follow me on social media, at ambivalently yours on Instagram and Facebook, at ambivalently you on Twitter. To see the drawing inspired by this episode, or to submit a question of your own, please check out the Tumblr where this all began, ambivalentlyyours.tumblr.com. If you like our podcast, please share it with your friends and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. With your help, Hopefully we can build up enough momentum so that website development and shippable mattress companies want to fund our second season. Thank you.